Well, good morning. Good morning. I, I hope uh, that you're with us today. And if you are trying to join us on Facebook Live, we are having some problems because life is full of problems, is it not? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Actually, uh, we're dealing with a lot of challenges today, uh, this moment, but also in this time. And let me just say this, that this is not our first rodeo, is it? Not our first rodeo here in Woodford County. I want to say two words in a moment, that if you lived in Versailles 10 years ago, uh, you will recognize immediately, and those words are a name, the name Derek Capozzi. Derek Capozzi. Some of you will go, never heard of him. Others of you will go, I remember that guy from 10 years ago. Derek Capozzi was a federal prisoner who was convicted of murder who escaped in a, from a police van in Versailles 10 years ago this very weekend. Isn't that interesting? And uh, Derek eluded police for three days, during which we had our own shutdown of our small town. Schools were closed on Friday. Many of the businesses were closed. People were on full alert. Uh, there were sightings all over the town. And uh, to be honest with you, uh, there were probably some Kaposi parties that people had who didn't take it serious enough, but honestly, a lot of us were pretty concerned. There was a lot of fear and worry as to the people that this, uh, this guy could hurt while he was on his way trying to get out of town to escape. And he was arrested on Saturday evening, uh, cold, exhausted, and harmless. But I got to be honest, he caused quite a bit of disturbance in, our, in all of our lives. And uh, so I just want to remind you of that 10 years ago, but I also, at the end of the message, I want to close out by telling you about my visit to Derek in jail after he was arrested. It was kind of an interesting visit and experience with him. But today we have another issue, don't we? We have another crisis on our hands, and what a difference we're experiencing. In fact, what a difference six weeks makes. Six weeks ago, short six short weeks ago, we were almost oblivious to the coronavirus. It was in China. My son who lives in Hong Kong was telling me about this virus, this obscure thing that was troubling them. We had no idea that we would deal with it here in the States. Six weeks ago, we were eating in restaurants. We were going to Starbucks. We were shopping at the mall. We were watching the NBA. We we're filling out March Madness brackets that never happened. School was open. Full was ab- food was abundant. Grocery shelves were fully stocked. Bernie Sanders was winning the Democratic primary race, and we could actually go to church six weeks ago. But that was then. This is now. And we know things are very different, right? Our schools are closed. Uh, our churches are, are closed. Um, no gatherings of 10 or more. No movies. No eating in restaurants, inside restaurants. Uh, there have been food fights in the grocery, some ugly things. There was no spring break for many people, no baseball, no NBA, no handshakes or hugs. And worst of all, worst of all, seriously, are the pictures of caskets stacked in mass graves. In so many ways, this virus has changed almost everything that we thought to be normal. And if all of that has disturbed you and produced some worry and anxiety in your life, you're not alone. And so today we're going to be talking about how to have faith in the middle of trials. And they happen every day in our life. When things get back to normal, whatever that will be, we will still have trials, but we have them now, right? How in the world do you maintain a vibrant faith when everything around you seems to be falling apart? When things are horribly, whether they be corporately, as a community, as a world, or whether it be individually, how do we maintain our faith in hard times? And fortunately, we have an answer for that. 
The answer is not something really simple. It's not something I'm going to make up and, you know, going to be a fix-all. It's a deep answer, but it comes from God's Word specifically from a man who had his own struggles and hardships, the Apostle James. Not only did he have struggles through life, but he even, as a believer, was persecuted and ultimately put to death because he refused to deny Christ. And so, he can adequately tell us how do we deal with problems in life. So let's read, let's discover from James chapter 1, beginning with verse 2. James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Wow, we all know about those trials, don't we? We know what they're like because we're kind of going through them right now. For some people, the trials include being out of work. For others, many others, it includes being sick or perhaps losing a loved one or worried about money and income or because of a lot of togetherness, maybe too much togetherness, uh, marriage problems and conflict going on favorite meme this week I saw was that my wife and I have a game we play during quarantine. It's called, Why Did You Do It That Way? And nobody wins that game. (laughs) Kind of interesting, isn't it? We have a lot of conflict, a lot of potential for conflict. We're trying to be healthy at home. How do we respond to those type of conflicts? Usually, we do not respond uh, with, with, uh, with joy, right? Because most of us were probably going to end up getting angry or sad or bitter or perhaps blaming another person or playing the victim or maybe blaming God for all of this. And he bears the brunt of our frustration. But James gives us a very different way to respond. In fact, James says that we should consider it an opportunity for joy, for joy. I bet you didn't think of that when you were thinking about how you would respond to the trials in your life. You know, my wife and kids know that whenever I get really, really frustrated and angry, I don't get mad and show it that way, I laugh. They know when I start laughing that I'm at the end of my rope. But that's not even what James is talking about here as well. He's not saying, hey, laugh off your frustration, laugh off your anger, laugh off your problems. He's not saying that. Hardships and trials are not something to laugh about and make light of, right, and minimize. He's not saying, put on a happy face, put on a plastic smile and fake it, right? Don't don't respond that way. He's not saying that you should be happy and don't confuse happiness with joy in the middle of this because happiness is based on circumstances and is driven by emotion. Based on circumstances, driven by emotion. That's what makes us happy. We're not happy about what's going on right now in our world. We're sad, we're troubled, we're brokenhearted at the stories that we hear. So it's not a happiness that we're experiencing or that, that, that's being called for, it's joy, and joy is a lot deeper than happiness. Joy is based on how you think about something, not how you feel about something. James says that we ought to have joy whenever the challenges come, and here is why. Here's why we can have joy, a simple statement. We can have joy because of what the hardships allow to happen and what can happen through them in the end. Let me just repeat that. We can have joy because of what the hardships allow to happen and what can happen through them, through the hardships in the end. In fact, the New Living Translation says it like this. 
When your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. And when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, all of us long for that type of deep faith. We want a faith that will sustain us through through our hard times. But that kind of faith takes challenges to produce. And whenever you face a challenge, a trial, or a difficulty, you're going to have a choice in that. Are you going to choose to endure? Are you going to push through? Or are you going to quit? And if you choose to endure, you are going to grow. You're going to become more mature. You're going to to be bigger, stronger, deeper, better than you were before that. And that, in turn, will bring about joy and inner satisfaction. But it only comes when the trials are experienced. And that's true in so many things in life. For example, that is how steel is forged. It is heated, and through the fire, the heat makes it strong. It's also how we build muscles in our physical body. There is stress and release and stress. Stress, release, stress, back and forth. It's also, interestingly enough, true in nature that trees that face strong winds as they grow up, they develop deep roots and a flexibility to move with the wind. But trees that do not have a lot of wind or pressure, they will have shallow roots, and when the storms come, they will fall down very easily. Now, if we we were honest and, and are honest with ourselves, we have all been pretty spoiled throughout our lives. Living in the U.S., living in this part of the country, we've all been pretty spoiled. We have most of what we want. We've been extremely com- comfortable. And whenever this current crisis came along, we were unprepared. Most of us had no concept of of sheltering at home. And many of us were unwilling to taste the truth. We think nothing could affect our lives and our economy in this way. We just didn't really, we weren't really to accept that. And because of that, a lot of us are struggling to get through it in a lot of different ways. We weren't prepared for it financially. We weren't prepared for it mentally or relationally. We just weren't ready for something like this to come up. You know, the reality is that we don't typically grow in the easy times of our life. When things are going well, we don't tend to plan for things to go difficult in our life or become difficult in our life. But the reality is that whenever we reach those hard and challenging times, that's an opportunity to grow. If you tell me what's challenged or wounded you in the past, I will tell you what has made you into the person that you are today. That is what develops character within us. Trials are either going to develop perseverance, or they're going to push us to the sidelines of life. We're either going to get tough, or we're going to have to give up. And I will tell you that when this season of struggle is over, you're either going to be whipped, and you're going to complain about it for the rest of your life, or you're going to be stronger and more prepared for the next challenge of life. Why? Because there will be more to come. There will be more to come. You know, I hear people talking about how difficult this is, and I, and I wonder, what are the memories that we are developing through this? Parents, what are the memories that you are developing with your children through this? This will either be something you look back with as the worst time of your life or the best time of your life. And wouldn't it be wonderful to come out of this and saying, yeah, we got to get back to real life, but wow, that was awesome, the time we had at home, the time we spent together, uh, the, the memories that we shared, the triumph, the victory that we overcame through this. And if you do triumph, you're going to have a sense of satisfaction, even a sense of joy through this. So instead of complaining, I would encourage you to make the very best of this time. 
Find the, the positives and enjoy the spring and enjoy the time that you have with family or the time, the break that you have. And lean on God. Trust God. He will bring you through this. The stories that you will tell will be stories of victory, of how you made do, of how you grew, how you became more independent financially and will be prepared for the next crisis, how you became wiser and you found strength in Jesus Christ. You were made more mature and complete. You know, I got to be honest with you, that's what I'm really hoping for through this. Not just that we survive through it spiritually, but more important, that we thrive through it. That we, are, that we uh, discover our need for God and our lack of uh, control, that we just have realized that. And that there really is some spiritual revival in believers, but even unbelievers began to turn back to God. I think that would make a victorious experience for everybody. And that really is what James is talking about here, how trials bring your faith to the surface for testing and development in a way that nothing else can. And because in a trial, you're either going to turn to God or you're going to turn away from God. There's no more living, getting by on your own. You have to decide, is God real or not? So let me encourage you in this process and kind of give you an idea of what this process might look like uh, on the screen. We might view it as the trial that we all have. Trials are going to come. What do we do? So hopefully, secondly, we choose to, uh, to endure. We're in, going to do the, endure this trial, and then we're going to be made complete to the process. Now, com- compare and contrast that to choosing not to endure and giving up and being weaker or destroyed through it. So it sounds pretty, the obvious answer is, is just to choose to endure and be made complete. And that sounds kind of easy just a formula to follow. But we all know in reality that life isn't that easy, right? We all know that we can't do it on our own. That's where our weakness comes in. So James now gives us an idea or instruction how to do it. Here's what he says next. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So if you lack wisdom, if you can't do this alone, then you should ask God for some help. You know, we all know that we should endure, but we don't always know what to do and how to do it. And that's where God comes in. We ask God for wisdom, and God promises that He will give us to us generously if we just ask. Anyone and everyone who seeks wisdom from God will receive wisdom and direction, and God never gets tired of us asking for more or asking Him to repeat the the instructions, and He's just waiting for us to approach Him. So in a crisis, you should And you can go to God with your questions, with your confusion, with your hurt, with your anxiety and your weaknesses. And you can be real with God, honest with God, even say, God, I'm struggling to understand your purposes here. And God won't judge us or look down on us. In fact, God already knows our struggles. He knows what what our questions are, what our doubts are. He already knows that. He's just waiting for us to come to Him for advice. And when you go ask for wisdom. You know, we oftentimes feel like we have to know the answers or we have to figure it all out. We just want God to, you know, just make our plans happen or, or, or to make it work for us. But James says, don't think that you already know what's best. Ask God for that. Ask God. And God will give you wisdom to know what to do. He'll, know, he'll, get, he'll show you how to persevere and how to endure through the trial. And in fact, not just get through it, but to but, but to thrive through it. God will help you make the decisions you have to make, what to do and what not to do. Jesus said, if we seek him, we'll be fine. 
Uh, if we ask, we will discover. It's as simple as that. And more than likely, it will not be what you think we should do. It will not be what your human rational process and natural wisdom will tell you what to do. We're seeking God's supernatural wisdom, not just, you know, good ideas on our own. And we may not want to obey also because it's probably going to go against human nature. And that is a point where we have to seek wisdom and we have to be obedient. So let's adjust our formula just a little bit that I gave you a few moments ago. Let's go back, first of all, the trial that we're all going to have. Secondly, our choice to endure. But let's insert praying for wisdom in there because that's really the solution to discovering what we should do in order to endure and to be made complete in the end. Now, that formula looks pretty good, right? But there's one other problem, and that is our humanness. And our humanness and our weaknesses flavor everything that we do because we all have good intentions, but how do we follow through on that? And that's where James gives us his next advice about how, we com- how committed we are to be to the process. So he says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, James used an interesting analogy here, and I don't want to rub a little salt into the wound or a little sand into the wound, because I know some of you were planning to go to the beach for spring break, and you're still uh, smarting a little bit because you didn't get to go. But when you're at the beach, let me just say, one of the things you know about are the waves, the waves that pound the shore. And they have a lot of power. They can knock you down. They can do some damage. We know that. But what James is talking about here is a wave in the open sea and a boat on the waves with no anchor. The boat that is a victim of the waves, it has no control. It's going here, it's going there, wherever the waves may blow it. So what James is saying is you can't be like that. You can't be wishy-washy. You can't go one way one moment and another way the next. A part of our maturing process is being able to be firm, to be focused, to decide and purpose in our heart that we're either going to be with God or we're not with God. I think God wants us to just make a choice on that and obviously wants us to choose to be with Him, but He doesn't want us to be wishy-washy. Either you're going to look to God and Him alone or you're going to look to do it on your own And God wants you to make a decision. And until you decide, James says, you're a double-minded person and you're unstable in all that you do. And James says that a person like that should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. You're not going to do, you're not going to be made complete or, or reach your goal if you're back and forth. And maybe that's why a lot of people truly never find peace and joy in their life. They cry out to God for help. But like the wave of the sea, they go back and forth, only looking to God when things are difficult and then getting back to depending on themselves when things get back momentarily better. And can I just encourage you, if you have grown spiritually during this difficult time, when things get back to normal, whatever that is, don't go back to depending on yourself and thinking the way you did before. Make the change a permanent one. Because maybe that's where you are today. Maybe this whole deal has kind of knocked you around and and rocked your world. You thought you had it all figured out. You you believed in God. You always have, but God was just kind of your ace in the hole. You always knew you could come back to God in the end when you needed to, when things got tough. But maybe you got just a little bit further from God than than you planned. I mean, you were doing pretty well on your own. Things were going great. Your job was good. Family was, was awesome. Friends, you gathered around. The future looked great. But then when this hit you, it hit you pretty hard. 
And nothing that you thought that would take you through tough times is working right now. And maybe the ground is very shaky around you. The economy's shaking. You're isolated from friends. Your plans have been wrecked. You worry about the future. Is the economy going to come back? Will your life come back to normal? And you don't know where to turn. Can I make a suggestion to you? And that is to to turn your eyes toward heaven. To reach out to the one who has all the answers. Because he's been reaching out to you for a long, long time. You just haven't had time or taken time to realize it. And when you reach out to him, he will meet you in the midst of your struggles. And then James gives us some more encouragement here in the following verses. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossoms fail, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of light that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You know, sometimes we envy the people who don't seem to have any problems in life. You've probably seen some posts lately about how unrealistic the, the wealthy people are. They're isolated, yeah, but they're in a you know, a luxurious home with all the comforts of life around them. It doesn't seem like they're suffering very much like a lot of people are. And sometimes we envy people who seem to be having it easy and have a good life, no problems, plenty of money. We see them almost favored by God. And in, in turn, we might see ourselves as being punished by God. In reality, those who face tough times are actually being given the opportunity, being blessed to develop character, a deeper commitment to God, and a deeper spiritual life. And so if God brings those trials on you, whether they're corporate as they are now or individually, you ought to see, the, see yourself as being favored by God. God loves you enough to give you the opportunity to develop character. You're not going to be shielded or robbed of these opportunities by the things the world might claim to be wonderful and blessings, but God is going to allow you to have true opportunity to grow closer to Him. So in reality, we ought to pity those people who never face adversity. Pity them because they're never going to come to a knowledge of Jesus on their own. They think they have all the answers themselves. They will never grow deep roots. They'll never mature, and they will fade away. Money will not survive the big house, the boat, the clothes, the jewelry, the technology. None of those things will make it out of this world. Their pleasure and luxury is only for the moment. Because when all else fails, only your soul survives. Only the soul survives. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, the right kind of pride in looking to God for the hope he gives us. And the reason is that God has some big plans for us. But we have to be willing to let him develop and, and, and make those plans come to fruition in our lives. That's why James says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And just remember too, that not everybody is going to be pulling for you. Not everybody's on your side, right? You're going to be tempted to take the easy road. You're going to be tempted to resist this maturing process. You're going to be tempted to go with the rest of the world and abandon God. In fact, you may even blame God for your struggles. 
But may I remind you that in reality, it is Satan who is out to get you. He is the one who is out to destroy any good that God might grow within you. Resist him, resist his temptations, and remember this. As James continues, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That is the temptation process. God isn't tempted, and God doesn't tempt anyone. Rather, it is our flesh that makes us vulnerable to temptation. Temptation begins with our desire, and if we do not control that desire, it leads to sin, which is a willful act and a conscious choice. And then that sin leads to death, spiritual death. So James says, resist the sin, embrace the trial, seek God's wisdom, and experience the victory. And you know, if you think about that exactly what Jesus did for us when he went to the cross, he was tempted to run away. He had to have been knowing what was before him. But Jesus resisted that temptation. He embraced the trial, even thanked God for the trial. He sought God's help. And then in turn, he experienced the victory of the resurrection. And today we choose if we will follow his example or not. If we choose to embrace the trial and endure and seek completeness, maturity, we'll discover that in Jesus Christ. We'll get the wisdom that he provides and we'll be faithful. But if not, we choose another way, then there's little hope. I told you I wanted to tell you a little bit about visiting Derek Capozzi. The week after Derek was arrested, I felt a real pull to go and meet this guy and, uh, and then just talk to him. And so I traced him down to the Fayette County Detention Center and went to visit him. And the guy that we had feared so much didn't look so dangerous behind bars. In fact, I found him to be kind of an interesting character. What I really wanted to say, what God put on my heart, it was to thank him for not hurting anyone in our little town. I thanked him. I, I knew he had opportunity. He had hurt people before. And I thanked him for not doing that. And he, in turn, said he didn't want to. He just really wanted to get away. He wanted to escape uh, and get uh, away out of this town, but he didn't know how. And after talking to him for a while, I think that Derek, like a lot of people, had a pretty good heart. He had gotten mixed up in drugs and, and in crime, organized crime, and made some really serious mistakes in his life, obviously. And not to excuse him, but he was searching for God. I only got a chance to meet him and talk to him one time through the, the glass, the thick glass of the detention center but he and I ended up writing back and forth for almost a year. And I shared about my life, and, and, and he shared about his life and family. Uh, he would ask me every, every letter, he would ask about my family and how my kids were doing. In fact, I, I've kept his letters. It's kind of interesting to look at them every now and then. And Derek was seeking the truth. I would uh, send him a book like The Case for Faith. And he listened to several sermons every week, and he really was trying to believe in God. But then a big event happened in his life, not personally, but it, but it was big when it came to his faith. Less than a year later, in February 2011, there was a missionary couple named Gene and Scott Adams that were killed, few people remember, I'm sure, but Somali pirates uh, hijacked their yacht and killed them. And, and Derek took that extremely hard, and it was hard to understand that a man who had participated in a murder and and, and so, so maybe more than one murder would be upset that missionaries had been killed 
uh, on the other side of the world. But that was just too much for him. In fact, he said he could not believe in a God who would let that happen. And he stopped writing, and I lost track of him uh, from that point. Haven't heard anything from him since. But the trials of life did not lead him to repentance and faith. They led him to a hard life, hard heart, and to actually turning his heart against God. And I pray that, that Derek comes to know the Lord before he dies through some way. And I know that, that God would draw him to himself. So the message I would say from this is trust God in all things. When trials come, choose to endure. Seek the wisdom of God. And in so doing, we'll be made more complete and we'll rejoice. That's the only way that we can find joy in our trials. If you want to have a conversation, please just reach out through social media or phone call or email, however you would like to do that. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to pray with you about what's going on in your world. And if you want to know more about how to walk with Jesus, I'd love to have that conversation with you. Right now, I want to transition our thoughts back to that of Jesus when he chose to accept the trial, endure the trial for us. And the Bible says he was raised up and restored to a higher place in heaven than even before. He was made more complete, if that would be possible, than even before. But all of that led through the journey of the cross. And this morning, if you received communion, picked it up yesterday, or if you have some emblem that you've set aside for yourself, I would encourage you to take just a few moments to gather them just now. I'm going to ask God's blessing and prayer on the emblems, and then we'll take them together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for this morning. Lord, we just come to you and we humbly acknowledge our weakness and our struggles. God, we, we long to find joy in life, not just a temporary happiness, but we long to find joy. And, and yet the challenges of life, the trials of life can often rob us from them. So Lord, I pray now that as uh, we've just talked about this, we've heard from James, your disciple, who followed Jesus throughout his life and then gave his life for his faith that, God, we would discover a way to overcome our fears and our challenges, and, God, that you, um, that you would lead us, make us more like Jesus in every way. God, I want to thank you for Jesus' love on the, on the cross. Thank you for his sacrifice. I ask, Lord, now that as we take the piece of bread, that you would bless it, as the, that it would be a symbol of the body of Christ that was broken for us. As we take the, the juice, you would bless it as a symbol of the blood of Christ. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let us as a church share together the bread, the body of Christ.